millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, and welcome to Voices from the Battlefield, part of Waterloo Remembered. The next extract is read by Katrina Kennedy and comes from the recollections of civilian Francis Bernay. Hello, I'm Katrina Kennedy, and I'm going to be reading some extracts from the English novelist Frances Burney's account of her experiences in Brussels during the Battle of Waterloo. At the time of Napoleon's escape from Elba in March 1815, Frances was living with her husband, General Alexander d'Arblay, a member of King Louis XVIII's personal guard in Paris. They agreed that for her safety, Francis should travel to Brussels, where there was a large British expatriate community. It would, of course, turn out not to be the safe haven they had hoped for. Her diary of the campaign records the uncertainty and anxiety experienced by the inhabitants of Brussels as they waited for news of the battle, as well as poignant descriptions of the human costs of war. The extract begins on June 18th, as Frances Burney and an English family, the Boyds, attempt to flee Brussels. She writes, We arrived at the wharf. Mr Boyd pointed out to us our barge, which seemed fully ready for departure, but the crowd already come, and still coming, so incommoded us that Mr Boyd desired we would enter a large inn and wait till he could speak with the master and arrange our luggage and places. We went, therefore, into a spacious room and ordered our breakfast, when the room was entered by a body of military men of all sorts. But we were suffered to keep our ground, till Mr Boyd came to inform us that we must all decamp. Confounded, we vacated the apartment, and Mr Boyd conducted us not to the barge, not to the wharf, but to the road back to Brussels, telling us, in an accent of depression, that he feared all was lost, that Bonaparte was advancing, that his point was decidedly Brussels, and that the Duke of Wellington had sent orders that all the magazines, the artillery and the warlike stores of every description, and all the wounded, the maimed and the sick, should be immediately removed to Antwerp. 
For this purpose, he had issued directions that every barge, every boat should be seized for the use of the army, and that everything of value should be conveyed away, the hospitals emptied, and Brussels evacuated. If this intelligence filled us with the most fearful alarm, how much more affrighting still was the sound of cannon which next assailed our ears. The dread reverberation became louder and louder as we proceeded. Every shot told to our imaginations the death of myriads, and the conviction that the destruction and devastation were so near us, with the probability that if all attempted escape should prove abortive, we might personally be involved in the carnage, gave us sensations too awful for verbal expression. We could only gaze and tremble, listen and shudder. Having relodged us in the Rue de Sol, Mr. Boyd tried to find some land carriage for our removal, but not only every chaise had been taken and every diligence secured, the cabriolets, the calèche, nay the wagons and the carts and every species of caravan had been seized for military service. And, after the utmost efforts he could make, in every kind of way, he told us we must wait the chances of the day, for that there was no possibility of escape from Brussels, either by land or water. Remedy there was none, nor had we any other resource. We were fain, therefore, quietly to submit. Mr. Boyd, however, assured me that though no land carriage was likely to find horses during this furious contest, he had been promised the return of a barge for the next morning if he and his party would be at the wharf by six o'clock. We then separated. I was anxious to get home. My reappearance produced no effect upon my hosts. They saw my return with the same placid civility that they had seen my departure. But even apathy or equanimity like theirs was now to be broken. I was seated at my bureau and writing when a loud hurrah reached my ears from some distance, while the daughter of my host, a girl of about eighteen, gently opening my door, said the fortune of the day had suddenly turned and that Bonaparte was taken prisoner. At the same time the hurrah came nearer. I flew to the window. I then saw on a noble warhorse in full equipment a general in the splendid uniform of France, but visibly disarmed and to all appearance tied to his horse or at least held on so as to disable him from making any effort to gallop it off and surrounded, preceded, and followed by a crew of roaring wretches, who seemed eager for the moment when he should be lodged where they had orders to conduct him, that they might unhorse, strip, pillage him, and divide the spoil. His high, feathered, glittering helmet he had pressed down as low as he could on his forehead, and I could not discern his face, but I was instantly certain he was not Bonaparte. The delusion of victory vanished into a merely passing advantage as I gathered into the earnest researches into which it led me, and evil only met all ensuing investigation. Retreat and defeat were the words in every mouth around me. The Prussians, it was asserted, were completely vanquished on the 15th, and the English on the 16th, while on the day just past the 17th, a day of continual fighting and bloodshed, Drawn battles on both sides left each party proclaiming what neither party could prove, success. 
Not above a quarter of an hour had I been restored to my sole occupation of solace, before I was again interrupted and startled, but not as on the preceding occasion by riotous shouts. The sound was a howl, violent, loud, affrighting, and issuing from many voices. I ran to the window and saw the Marché aux Bois suddenly filling with a populace, pouring in from all its avenues and hurrying on rapidly, and yet as if unconscious in what direction, while women with children in their arms or clinging to their clothes ran screaming out of doors, and cries filled the air, and from every house I saw windows closing and shutters fastening. All this, though long in writing, was presented to my eyes in a single moment, and was followed by a burst into my apartment to announce that the French were come. Bernie later learned that this report was false, but she nonetheless would spend the remainder of the 18th and the 19th of June in a state of acute suspense as conflicting accounts reached Brussels about the outcome of the battle. She writes, It was not till Tuesday the 20th I had certain and satisfactory assurances how complete was the victory. At the house of Madame de Morville, I heard confirmed and detailed the matchless triumph of the matchless Wellington, interspersed with descriptions of scenes of slaughter and the field of battle to freeze the blood, and tales of woe among mourning survivors in Brussels to rend the heart. It is not near the scene of battle that war, even with victory, wears an aspect of felicity. No, not even in the midst of its highest resplendence of glory. A more terrific or afflicting sojourn than that of Brussels at this period can hardly be imagined. The universal voice declared that so sanguinary a battle as that which was fought almost in its neighbourhood and quite within its hearing never yet had spread the plains with slaughter. And though exultation cannot ever have been prouder, nor satisfaction more complete in the brilliancy of success, all my senses were shocked in viewing the effects of its attainment. For more than a week from this time I never approached my window but to witness sights of wretchedness. Maimed, wounded, bleeding, mutilated, tortured victims of this exterminating contest pass by every minute. The fainting, the sick, the dying and the dead, on brancards and carts and wagons succeeded on another without intermission. There seemed to be a whole and large army of disabled or lifeless soldiers. All that was intermingled with them bore an aspect of still more poignant horror. For the Bonapartian prisoners, who were now poured into the city by hundreds, had a mien of such ferocious desperation where they were marched on, uninjured from having been taken by surprise or overpowered by numbers, or faces of such anguish where they were drawn on in open vehicles, the helpless victims of gushing wounds or horrible dislocations, that to see them without commiseration for their sufferings or admiration for the heroic, however misled enthusiasm, to which they were martyrs, must have demanded an apathy dead to all feeling but what is personal, or a rancour too ungenerous to yield even to the view of defeat. That was the historian Katrina Kennedy reading from the recollections of Francis Burnet.
and you can find out more about Katrina's works and order them online now. Stay tuned to The Napoleon Assist, where more instalments of the Voices from the Battlefield series will be released throughout the day. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.